Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Are all gifts the same? Are all gifts the same? Are some gifts better or greater than others? Or are there any non-essential gifts? And that gets back to the matter and the misunderstanding of the lesser and the greater gifts. But if you want a principle to understand how the church works, how the body of Christ works, whether it's how you use your gifts or how we serve together, which is how you use your gifts, right? You go to 1 Corinthians 12 again. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every giant will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken in two All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so blessed by each and every one of you for choosing to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And as always, we encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith delivers another message from his sermon series entitled, Rethinking Church. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. I think one of the key words that we read is that there are varieties of gifts. And what does that tell us? It tells us that there is, and what that means is, is these lists are not exhaustive. They're illustrative. They're informative. They're sufficient to give us a sense of what many of the gifts might be but not all these gifts. Some, like I said, overlap. Brings us to question three. And we kind of got into that a little bit with question two. Who has the gifts? Who has spiritual gifts? Only special people? And I think we've seen that God gives these gifts to whom he chooses. He apportions them as he wills. And so it's not just special people. He gives them to everyone. And when you think about it, look at the disciples that Jesus raised up. Were they special Doubting Thomas, Peter, the uber-ultimate hothead. Um, You look at these guys. Simon the Zealot, he was practically a terrorist, right? No, you're not special people. These gifts were given to sinners saved by grace. These disciples, they were largely Galilean fishermen, right? They were working men. They were blue-collar, right? So he gives them to all kinds of people. That gets into the Apostle Paul's question to John the Baptist's disciples. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? See, it's all about faith in Christ. Every born-again Christian has at least one spiritual gift. God apportions, it says, them to everyone as he chooses. And gifts, like we said earlier, are undeserved. Kind of like trials, right? God submits and subjects us. He ordains trials for us. He, he gives us gifts. He, he saves us through his grace. It's about God's larger purposes. So each person 
has a gift. And the question is, how will they use it? And I would just call your attention again to 1 Corinthians 12, this time verse 11. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. And Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. It's not about us. It's about other people. It's not how special we are. It's how special God is. And so getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, he himself apportioned the gifts. There are no especially deserving Christians, just like we didn't deserve our salvation. We don't deserve our gifts. This brings us to a fourth question. Why spiritual gifts? Why do we get them? Why do we receive them? Basically for a singular purpose. For a singular purpose. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Look at verse 12, basically. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's why we get gifts. So you see these people on TV, or you see these people showing up to do so-called revivals, or whatever, and they have all these... They're not special. And when they're calling attention to themselves, you know they're outside of God's will. Notice the gifts or offices above all. Notice their purposes to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The gifts are for the benefit of others. We see that also in 1 Corinthians 12, 6 and 7. It is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit Two words there, three words in a prepositional phrase, for the common good. Make that four words. Sorry about that. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a theologian, not a mathematician. So four words there in that prepositional phrase, for the common good. It's for the good of others. Again, the gifts of the Holy Spirit like salvation are undeserved, and they are given by the, for the common good. We are saved by grace, not by works, not of ourselves, and so we didn't deserve our salvation. We don't deserve the spiritual gifts. Does it make us special? Spiritual gifts are no indication of our spirituality. Rightly understanding them, however, produces a level of humility, a willing to be accountable and to do things in such a way as to bring glory for Christ and to see ourselves and others conform to the image of Christ. The gifts rightly used, they uh, enlarge our sense of God's presence and power. Now, what we're seeing here is why they're given. And in the reverse side of that is they're given for the glory of God, the good of others, and yes, our own growth. But what that also tells us is they, they can be misused. They can be misused, right? If there's a right way to use the gifts, there's a wrong way. And maybe you don't remember the story, maybe you're unfamiliar with the story of Simon the Magician in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 22. I'll kind of read through it and hit the high points here. But what you see here is a desire to use the gifts that God gives in the wrong way. There's, there is a right attitude and a wrong attitude, and we see it displayed here, and we'll see it displayed or talked about basically in other places as well. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 22. There was a magician named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city, and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news, as he preached the gospel about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 
Watch this, verse 13. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter steps up to bat. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And there's that phrase, the intent of your heart. And this is, I mean, Simon, the magician, his heart was wrong. He wanted, he was saved. Uh, Some like to suggest that he wasn't, but verse 13 tells us that even Simon himself believed and being baptized, continued with Philip to be discipled and mentored by Philip. But he he had some, some spiritual issue and he wanted a little notoriety and he was willing to pay to get it. He misunderstood things at that point in his spiritual walk. And so you have this idea of the intent of his heart being wrong. And I think that's something that every Christian, all of us, from the pastoral staff, everybody, all Christians everywhere, elders, deacons, deaconesses, whatever, need to be mindful of the intentions of their heart. There is a right way and a wrong way to use, to employ the spiritual gifts. Uh, let me move us over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 to 33. What we have here is an example of prescriptions being laid down about how to rightly use certain spiritual gifts. The unruly and raucous church in Corinth was the poster child for everything that churches do wrong. They were noisy, they were wild, they were disorderly, they misused their gifts, they exalted themselves. And so Paul comes in, and he's not going to fight with each and every person over what their spiritual gift is, but he's going to lay down rules and say, basically, if somebody thinks they're spiritual and fails to understand that these rules for using your gifts are the commands of God, if he fails to understand or acknowledge this, then he's not legitimate or she's not legitimate. So what were the rules that he laid down? Well, he dealt with speaking in tongues, 1 Corinthians 27 to 33. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, each one at a time, and let someone interpret. So in a worship service, there can at most be three people that would have spoken in tongues in those days. At most three, one at a time. And there, had, there better be someone to interpret. Verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them, let all of them, each one of them, keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. They can pray. Then he goes on to deal with people who prophesy. Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. Again, no more than three. Uh, it says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you all can prophesy, all three of you or two of you, one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And, this, and then he puts this in there. Watch this. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. What does that mean? There were there are people who say, well, I just can't help it. I mean, the Holy Spirit came on me and I just went crazy. 
And he's like, no, 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 that's not how God works. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. There's no, as never are an excuse for a loss of self-control. And so he lays this down. Everything here is to be done carefully, systematically, appropriately, in order to avoid confusion, because God is a God of peace, not a God of confusion. And basically, if you have these gifts and you intend to use them and the intent of your heart is pure, this is how you do it. What does that tell you? I can tell you in my early Christian life, I was in a lot of churches where bunches of people would jump up and say, thus saith the Lord, and they're all babbling at once, and you can't understand what they're saying. I've been in churches in the past where you have, you know, they say, okay, now you can worship God in your own way, and you have 50 or 100 people speaking in tongues, okay? You know what that was? That was sin. That wasn't of God. How do we know that? Because the Bible says so, right? And so you have to have a right intent. When you use your gifts, you use them according to the will of God, not according to your own desires. It's not about exalting you. It's about exalting God. This principle arises here. It's a principle of accountability. You know, some people, I had somebody tell me years ago, well, this is my gift, and I'm going to use it when and how I please. I thought, gee, I thought God gave you that to use for his glory. Is your gift really? I thought it was on loan from God. You know, this is where you have to function as part of a local church, whether it's this church or any other church. And so if you want to use your gifts here, for example, you have to be a member, right? We've talked about that a thousand times. Uh, You know, there's this level of accountability. So why spiritual gifts? Basically, for the building up of the church, to be used appropriately to encourage, to strengthen the church. Or as we talked about last week, to stir one another up to love and to good works. To cheer each other on as we use our gifts to encourage and help others as we glorify God and build up the body of Christ. Brings us to a fifth question. Are all gifts the same? Are all gifts the same? Are some gifts better or greater than others? Or are there any non-essential gifts? And that gets back to the matter and the misunderstanding of the lesser and the greater gifts. But if you want a principle to understand how the church works, how the body of Christ works, whether it's how you use your gifts or how we serve together, which is how you use your gifts, right? You go to 1 Corinthians 12 again. And I want to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12 verses 14, 14 through 15, and verses 22 to 25. And we've talked about this before earlier on as we discussed rethinking church. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though are many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which is our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there would be no division in the body, that all the members may have the same care for one another. So what does all that mean? Every part of the body of Christ whatever role you play, 
visible or almost invisible, whether you're up here or down there, whether you're helping people park cars in the parking lot, whatever it is, you are not non-essential. Whatever gift or ability God has given you to deploy in this church is essential. And so that applies in principle, and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is all about spiritual gifts, to your gifts and abilities. There's no such thing as a non-essential spiritual gift. God doesn't, he's a God of order, not a God of confusion. He gives the gifts that they may be used. And every gift is important. And a lot of times we lose sight of that because, you know, there were some gifts in the New Testament that were whole, I can tell you what, somebody raising the dead might cause more of a stir than somebody welcoming somebody into the church that day. But they're both essential to the functioning and the body of Christ. There is no gift that is non-essential. So we want to be careful because these gifts are given by God to be used for his glory. Now we come to question six. What are my spiritual gifts? This is more towards application. And I guess, uh, you know, today we have all these online spiritual gift tests that you can find. You can go on the internet. You can find anything on the internet. What these are basically are secular aptitude tests dressed up in Christian lingo, and they help you find your aptitudes. And you know what? To, that, to the extent that you understand that, that's fine. But I don't find spiritual gift tests in the New Testament, do you? You know, I don't find Google or DuckDuckGo there either, by the way. So when people ask me, Pastor, how do I determine my spiritual gift? My answer is twofold. The first is, what are you good at? What are you good at? Start there. What do you like to do? Start there. You know, there are some people who are just naturally generous. They give you the shirt off their back. Uh, When somebody needs to move, there are these folks in the church that just show up. I don't care whether it's raining or what. You know what? Gifts of service, gifts of helps. So what do you think your gift might be? I mean, just think about it. Look at the list. Look at these lists. And does it matter what the title of your gift is? What matters is, what are you good at? What do you like to do? That's probably, not necessarily, definitely, your gift. Some people have the ability to give spectacular biblical advice. Well, that would be utterances of wisdom or maybe counseling or discipleship. Others are wise beyond their years. You wonder, you know, where did that come from? Well, that's the gift of discernment. So how do you discover your gift? How do you buy a car? You test drive it. You, you, you try it out. You think, you know, I think this is my gift. I will serve in a place if they have need of me in that place. And I'll see if this is what it is. And sometimes the gifts develop over time. But the, you, you experiment. You basically, you're, you are saved to serve. And so try it out. But when you ask me what's your spiritual gift, my short answer is beats me. Because it depends. I haven't seen you in action. I, don't, I may not know you as well as I know other people, but what I do know is if you take your aptitudes and your inclinations and try to find a place to use them in the church, that's an opportunity for you to test drive it, to figure out, is this a spiritual gift? And so uh, you serve. Find a place and serve. 
And, you know, you serve six, eight, nine, ten, twelve weeks, and it's, you know, it's, it's not working out. Well, then find another place to serve. Be willing to serve where you're asked to serve. Some people say, you know, I'm willing to serve in the church because I have this spiritual gift and that spiritual gift. And so if I can serve here, I'll serve. In which we apply the ancient Hebrew term sayonara because you serve where you need it. And that may be an indication that God in his providence and sovereignty is directing you and your gift package to that area. We don't know. You don't know, but you'll only know if you try. So to review, what are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are bestowed, are are abilities bestowed by God, maybe amped up at salvation. Uh, Is there a list? There are numbers of lists. None of them are exhausted, so there are likely gifts that exist beyond those lists. Who has spiritual gifts? Special people? No. Every Christian has one or more gift. doesn't depend on human effort. depends on God's sovereignty. Four, why spiritual gifts? Gifts exist and are bestowed as God wills for the edifying of the saints and the building up of the body of Christ. Are all the gifts the same? Yes or no? You have gifts you can use any day, any place, anywhere, but I don't see you part in the Red Sea next week. Okay, so you have the more frequently used gifts, some call them the lesser gifts, and the infrequently used gifts. What are my spiritual gifts? It gets back to the old beats me. I don't know. What are you good at? What aptitudes and abilities are you showing as a Christian? There's a place to start. So as we wrap up with a final application, I would ask you to ask and answer yourself in your heart before God, this communion Sunday, am I serving? Am I testing my gifts? Am I applying my gifts in submission to the will of God, the word of God, the leadership of this church? Or do I march to my own tune and my own drum? Am I meeting real needs within the body of Christ and, you know, you may say, well, I just don't feel qualified. Nobody's qualified. No. If you find the perfect person here, one or two things have happened. You've misjudged them, or we're standing on the cusp of the second coming of Christ. Okay. He's the only perfect person that ever existed. So I want you to today think about how will I serve God in this body, in this group of believers? And if I'm not serving God, if I'm not applying my gifts, what's wrong with me? Let's pray. Father, as we prepare for communion, Lord, help us to look into our hearts and understand that we were saved to serve. Not only saved, but equipped supernaturally. Help us to understand that you don't make mistakes. You've given us your word to understand how we should then live and apply our gifts. You've given us your spirit to enable us to do things in him that we cannot do in ourselves. And you've given us to and loaned us to one another. Because as different as we all are, we're related by blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died to purchase us. So therefore, help us to be found faithful as servants, to do what we do for the glory of God, for the good of others, and yes, our own growth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, It is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening.